you are invited to pause and take a closer look at a Bible passage. Perhaps you need a word of encouragement today or some wisdom and instruction. Through God's Word, our focus turns to the Lord and our hearts open up to His guidance and direction. This podcast is part of the global outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library. Welcome to Walk with God. Greetings, friends. Walt and I would like you to prayerfully consider joining us for the Walk with God Israel Tour in November 2022. If you look down below in our show notes, you'll find the website where you will have details on our itinerary, answer a lot of questions, as well as the registration link. Pray about joining us on the Walk with God Israel Tour. Well, at Easter, I like to read different portions of scripture from the Gospels. You know, each Gospel author wrote to address specific audiences, and each one presents Jesus from a different perspective. Matthew views him as king, Mark as servant. Luke presents him as the Son of Man, and John, the Son of God. Well, today we will look at Luke chapter 24, and I'm going to begin in verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And setting the stage here, Brenda, uh, the road to Emmaus, it's it's about seven miles from Jerusalem, a two to three hour walk over um, rough terrain. Um, it's late in the day in Resurrection Day, it's a Sunday afternoon, and the two disciples are, are talking and discussing, they're processing, they're trying to understand what had taken place. It's interesting in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and 19, it says, when you have an important matter that has to be proven, it's a minimum of two witnesses are required for validation. So Jesus approaches these two and, and began traveling with them. And somehow their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Um, I'm not sure if that's because he has a resurrection body, but um, at the same time, you can understand that he's there. And Jesus asked them, what are these words that you're sharing as you're walking along? And and they stood still and they looked very sad. I, I think the emotion of that, of this day, of all that they had experienced and all the hopes they had and all the excitement they had and now all of the tragedy they have, they're filled with sorrow and grief. They're very sad, but they're also confused. And they're trying to process what happened and what, what's next for us. And it's interesting, the name Cleopas means glory to the Father. And he answers, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who's unaware of the things that have happened in these days? 
and even just that name, glory to the Father, his testimony will bring glory to the Father God mm. and honor to Jesus yeah. Christ. And the irony of this, while well, as you're sharing that, is these two individuals have been in Jerusalem for Passover. That I mean, everybody goes up to Jerusalem, a representative from each household, right? Yep. And as they're there... They've 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 been there for days, seeing what was happening, the the trial, all the all the um, what he, just the noise, the you know everyone. Where's Jesus? Wanting to to know where he was, uh, knowing that he had these fake trials, knowing that he was put on a cross. And they're saying to you, do you not know what has taken place in Jerusalem? How is this even possible? And the irony, Jesus knew every single detail of yes, what had happened. Exactly. Firsthand, better than anyone else. And yet, as he joins these two on their walk, he invites them into conversation, right? He, mm-hmm. he asks them good questions, which Jesus is so good at. Just a head to heart, even in this first part of this passage today, when we are only focused on our disappointments, our problems, our troubles, we tend to miss the big picture. As these disciples are walking from Jerusalem, they're walking away from the fellowship of the disciples, and they're missing the big picture of what has happened. They're, they're saying, it can't, is it possible that he's alive? He wasn't in the grave this morning. He wasn't in that tomb. And as continuing in the text, I love this, because Jesus, even in the midst of their missing the big picture, he's going to explain what the big picture is. So Jesus said to them, beginning in verse 19, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all of the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some of the women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning, and they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us, they went to the tomb and they found it just exactly as the women had said. But him, Jesus, they did not see. And so he's asking, what, what things? What are you talking about? What happened that has so stirred you up? And they said, well, the, the things about Jesus of Nazareth. And I love when they say he was a, a prophet, mighty in word and deed, in the sight of God and all the people. And that term prophet coming out of the Old Testament, it, it, it's a foreteller of the future, but it's also a foreteller who will speak for the Lord. In the Old Testament, it says, Thus saith the Lord. And now you know this person is claiming to be a prophet. And and even though they thought and believed and he was a, a prophet and mighty indeed the miracles he did, mighty in his words, his his words were different. He spoke as one having authority. And the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and they crucified him. This is such a moving story when we put ourselves in the position of these two individuals. 
the day that they've just had. You you alluded to this earlier already today, Walt, but the fact that these disciples have had three very, very troubling days. And when they awoke this particular day, the women went to the tomb to check on, they wanted to be able to put spices and take care of the body because they didn't have time to prepare it the three days before he was laid in the tomb. And this day has been long. The women come back and then some disciples run back to the tomb and they come back and they say, yes, it is. And, you know, there's just all this question swirling around and who had seen Jesus. Well, Mary Magdalene did. And as Jesus is moving around, it's important that there's a testimony, right? Yeah. And as Jesus walks now beside these two individuals, their eyes have been covered that they did not recognize him. And he asks, it's interesting, they stop, they stand still, they are so filled with sadness, they cannot believe this person does not no. So continuing now, Jesus responds to them in their, how can you not know, in verse 25, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus provides amazing instruction and teaching for them regarding his death and his resurrection. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? And even if that's part, a major part of this story, that Christ had to suffer these things, um, this would have been the greatest traveling Bible study of all time. I, I, oh, how I wish I could have been there. But it would surely, as he talks about all that the prophets had said, definitely Isaiah 52 and 53 were, were included in that. Because what Christ must suffer is explained there. He is the exalted suffering servant. And it starts in this passage, I'll start just with a few verses of the end of Isaiah 52 and then go into 53, but behold, just as many were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred beyond that of a man, and his form marred beyond that of the sons of men. So he will sprinkle many nations, kings will shut their mouth on account of him, Sprinkling, that's atonement. thats You sprinkle the blood of an innocent animal, and that is what allows there to be a payment for the sin of the guilty. Continuing Isaiah 53, Who has believed our report? For he grew up before him, God, like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we would look at him, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. However... It was our sicknesses that he himself bore, and it was our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. But he was pierced through for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. When the punishment for our well-being was laid upon him, 
and by his wounds we are healed. And then this imagery of bringing up of a sheep, it says all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. But the Lord desired to crush him, causing him grief if he renders himself as a guilt offering. And even as we note that guilt offering, the animal done nothing. <laughs> There's nothing the animal would have done to be um, cru- they are killed and his blood sprinkled. The innocent animal was going to die for the guilty. And then this chapter concludes, but because he poured out his life unto death and he was counted with the wrongdoers, yet he himself bore the sin of many and intercedes for the wrongdoers. And I think also this, this study would have included Zechariah 12.10, where it says there's coming a day when, when God's coming back in might and in power to Jerusalem, and then they will look on me whom they have pierced. See, that takes us right back to that Isaiah 53 passage. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, the only son of God. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn. And and all of this leads up to this wonderful start of Jesus's ministry when John the Baptist seen Jesus coming towards him and he says, behold, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's an atoning sacrifice. And even as we talk about a little head to heart, I'm like these two disciples, when we're focused on our sadness and our confusion and in our disappointments, uh, we need the perspective and wisdom from the Word of God. But we also need the guidance and the power from the Spirit of God in the midst of those disappointing times. And lastly, we need the comfort and encouragement from the people of God. So, Walt, even as you share, that would have been an amazing traveling Bible study, as you referred to. I mean, I can't even imagine Jesus just walking through Moses and the prophets and sharing why did the Christ have to suffer? Well, And, and you know, we've had some good teachers over the years yeah. at, at Bible college yeah. and at seminary. We've had good teachers, but this was the best lesson of all. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and he wanted them to hear and know why the events that had just taken place the previous days were so important. Well, as they are nearing their village, they approach the village where they were going. We know that was Emmaus. And he acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us. You say these two had walked with Jesus for the better part of seven miles. 
They've approached Emmaus, and Jesus acted like he was just going to continue walking, and they invite him in. This is Middle Eastern hospitality. They say, come and stay with us. Evening is coming. And so he went in, and Jesus assumes the position of host at the dinner table. This is not his home. He's been invited to be the guest But yet he picked up the bread, which would have been the Passover, no yeast, that bread, and he blessed it and breaking it, began giving it to them. And I love their eyes were open to see him. They recognized him and then he was gone from their sight. Yes, their hearts were burning as he explained the scripture. They had to be marveling and wondering, but yet their eyes did not see. Were not our hearts burning within us? Our Redeemer lives. And just even the excitement of that is carried on into the next verses in verse 33 and following. It says, they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They didn't wait till morning. They didn't think about what they needed to do. They needed to get back to the other disciples. They needed to tell them that the Redeemer is alive, that Jesus is is with us, and that Jesus taught us. And they found and gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. That very hour continues this chronology of this long resurrection day. And the reunion with the eleven disciples brought assurance to all of them as these two filled their role as witnesses perfectly. And they especially spoke of recognizing Jesus when he broke bread with them. And Jesus had done this not once or twice just at a Passover. He had done this repeatedly. And I love even with this, the excitement of going back to share that their walk with Jesus was real. And their hearts were beating fast and hard. They were excited. They were filled with joy. They had seen the risen Lord Jesus. You know, friends, our Redeemer Jesus, He is alive. We have testimony in His Word. We have the witness of those who saw Him on the resurrection day and in the days to follow in the scriptures. And I ask, am I excited today to know that my Redeemer lives? You know, we've taken some time today to work our way through this passage in Luke's Gospel. We've thought about these two followers who walked the road to Emmaus on this resurrection afternoon. And when we do this kind of work in God's, um, in his scripture and in his word, these are helpful tools as we seek to apply the truth of God's written word to our daily lives. Friends, we want to invite you cling to this truth. Our Redeemer lives. He is alive. Take every opportunity to share the good news. Each day, read God's word. And until our next time together, may you continue to walk with God. Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America and outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library.